Colossians chapter 3, we are moving through. I don't know if you could say we're moving through quickly or not, but at the end of the day, we want to try to keep some of these sections together, but not make them so unwieldy that we lose things. So, well, we do what we can. We, 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 there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not always a train, so <laughs> just some of the time. With everything that we've covered, it is time to just keep moving. So always remember, I mentioned this last week, I will mention it again in passing. This is a letter. You don't read this section and forget everything that happened in the section before or the section before that. So based on who you are in Christ, which is based upon who Christ is and what he has done, you live a certain way. Why? Because Christ has empowered you and because he has changed you. We're going to come back to that idea shortly. Paul, however, is not writing to a person in the Colossian church. He is writing to what? The Colossian church. That's instructive because he's not just writing to the people in the church, but he's actually communicating to the church. Christian, you have been changed of God, but that is not just for you alone by yourself to do whatever it is you feel like and ignore the world around you. That means also the people that God is building and the part of the community that God has placed you in. And that is where this section picks up. Sound like fun? All right. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, stop right there. We're going to see how many people I can annoy. (laughs) There are, I will warn you now, there are some questions that this came up, or questions, this came up the other day. I was talking to somebody about it. There are some sections of books when we preach through them because know that I outlined the book like first beforehand. So I've known how the sections were going to be divided for like the last couple of years because I'm weird and that far ahead. I, I just started expanding on the next round of sermon planning, and I'm on my 2025 calendar, so yeah, I'm just that odd. <laughs> Plug them in and just kind of keep going, and then just start dividing the book. There are some sections as you do that that you really, really look forward to, like, ooh, this is going to be fun, this is going to be exciting. There are some that you dread beyond, a, beyond all belief, and then there are some where you go, okay, we could really make this a big deal or we could really do this a bad way. And this is one of those spots right here that if we handle this wrong, I could annoy half of you. That's always fun, right? So as those, as those who have been chosen of God, time out and remember that that is always the way that the equation of salvation must begin, okay? Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons. In your name, perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We always ask the question, do you know Jesus? You know what a better question might actually be? Does Jesus know you? And these things matter. I mean, you get a great example of this in the book of Acts. Remember, it's the seven sons of Sceva go into the demonic possessed man's house and be like, hey, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon's response is, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus. And Paul, I know. You are? That's, by the way, that's like the really uncomfortable place to be in that moment because it's like, um, we should leave and we should leave now. They didn't leave quickly enough. At the end of the day, you don't make the rules. You do not determine the gospel message. You do not determine who Christ is and what he has accomplished. God does. Your job is to glean that understanding, to understand and discern that, and then follow accordingly. If that is not done, you have created another gospel. You are following another Jesus. And you would then say, I know who Jesus is. And Jesus would look at you and say, yeah, that's great. I don't know who you are because you have followed in vain, because you have followed a vain thing. And by the way, that's not a unique place. John chapter 6. The Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Second really uncomfortable part. But it's something you know, so I'm going to ask it this way. 
Who changes the hearts and minds of men? God does. God does. Can you reason someone into the kingdom? Can you logic someone into the kingdom? Can you argue someone into the kingdom? No. The Holy Spirit must transform hearts and minds. As Jesus told Nicodemus, good old King Jimmy quote, ye must be born again. Changed. Always remember that. The change of life that we attempt to lead in Christ is because we have a change of mind because God has already changed our heart. Any breakdown at any point in that creates chaos and destruction. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. If I bring to you the law of God and you have not a renewed mind because you have not a redeemed heart, what will that law be to you? It'll be a burden. It'll be a a heavy instrument that is wielded against you to bludgeon you and to crush you. You have no desire to follow God. You have no ability to follow God. It's my old math, my old uh, line to the uh, Awana teacher, the pagans be paganin. Amazingly enough, we take sinners and we put them in a sinful world, and what do you know? They sin. Who would have thunk it? What are the odds? Now, how do we overcome this? We have to change the inner man. Those who have been chosen of God. Those whom God has redeemed, whom the, who God has, who's, those who God has changed. That is who Paul is talking to. You can't pretend, you can't fake it, you can't act like it long enough. Eventually, who you are is revealed. This is why, again, I tell you all the time, and one of the reasons why I am just me, and why I tell you to just be you. Because if you're trying to hide something about yourself, or you're trying to pretend that you are not something that you are, eventually... All that is done in the darkness will be exposed to the light. Skip the middleman. Just be you as Christ has redeemed you. Warts, flaws, scars, and all. Because that is who you are in Christ. And rejoice at the work that he has done. Rejoice in the work that he is doing. And rejoice in the work that he is still yet to complete in you. Because none of us are done. None of us are ready. None of us are currently fit. We are being transformed day by day. We are being molded and worked on and chiseled at. And when we look at the world around us and we go, why? Because they haven't been changed, which is why, again, the attack is what? I can't change your mind. I have to change your heart by preaching what? Christ and him crucified. That's the goal. That's the tack that we take each and every day. And by the way, to bring this full circle, the, uh, the, author of, not, not, the author of that gospel that we just read, John, 2 John 7-9. through 9. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full, full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And by the way, this should be a bit of a comfort to you because if you can't get you in, you know what else you can't do? <laughs> you can't get you out. The other thing this should do for you is give you a little bit more confidence when you look at the world and say, no. Because when we understand that many deceivers have gone out into the world, that's not changed. Look at the landscape of what we call Christianity in the world. And we have churches that if you opened up their filing cabinet and you read their statement of faith, you would see, ooh, yeah, you would grab everything and go, yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that one. That one's right, and that one's right, and that one's right. And then you listen to their pulpit and go, but, 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 but. <laughs> it says all of this stuff, but none of that is any of this. I mean, you want to have some real fun ones from this week. The Church of England, which I know, don't make any jokes if you know anything about the history of the Church of England, but they've had issues for a while. They've announced this week that they're going to have new liturgy for marriage ceremonies. I'll bet you can't guess why they need new liturgy for marriage ceremonies. Can't, I bet you can't guess which marriages they need to now include in their liturgy, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. Of course you can. <laughs> the rainbow has a brand new meaning each and every day. Now, why are they doing that? Because they've redefined Christ, they've redefined Scripture, they've redefined Christianity, which means they have not God. 
Now, that's good news for you, Christian, because you can see that and say, there's what apostasy in the name of Christ actually looks like. There's what a rejection of Scripture and a rejection of Christ actually looks like. There's the false gospel in action. And you can rejoice because you know the truth, the truth that sets you free, and you are not bound to be lost and follow that because you're not being blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine, but you are anchored in the truth and are able to proclaim the truth in the midst of the lies and the deception. This is good. This is you being fitted for the world you have today. This is you looking out at the landscape and saying, ooh, there's the false doctrine. There's the false gospel. I don't have to fear that because I am not captive to that. Why? Because I've been chosen of God and I have been redeemed and I have been transformed and I can proclaim the truth and I know that as I am faithful to proclaim the truth that God is faithful to strengthen me and he will continue to build his kingdom because this world is still spinning and the only reason this world is still spinning is because God is still working. Therefore, I can be at rest in this world and I can be at peace in this world knowing that my work is good because it comes from him who is good. That's the hope, and that's why that matters so much. It's not your power. It's not your brilliance. It's not your effort. It is the accomplishment of God through his people on behalf of his kingdom. So, shall we continue? (laughs) All right. Those chosen of God, holy and beloved, because that's what he does. That's how he changes you. That's how he redeems you. Christian, that's you. That's you, holy and beloved. John 1. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, of God. He has changed you. He has redeemed you. He has strengthened you, and he has put you to work in this place. So what should they do? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, time out on this. A lot of this stuff we covered last week, go find last week, it'll do you good. I want you to notice something specific here, because this is how we avoid doing the same sermon two weeks in a row. You notice the direction here? You notice where that matters? We're already starting to move towards that community. Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. See, it's very, very tempting. And the church has tried this throughout the years and the centuries. To continually avoid the world and be pulled out and away from the world. Remember, you are not of the world, but you are stuck living where? In the midst of it. You got to live, right? You got to eat. You got to pay your mortgage. You got to buy groceries. While you can still afford them, I know. (laughs) You might have that second mortgage so you can afford the groceries, but you have to live. You have to put gas in the car. You have to do all of these things, which means you have to engage with the world around you. Part of the strength of that Christian is recognizing that that's not your people. Your people are the ones at the beginning of this verse. Your people are the ones who are gathered for worship around this world each and every day so that God be glorified. Now, because that's the direction of this, and that's how Paul is understanding this and pushing this, we will understand the rest of this section in light of that. So, verse 14, sound like fun? Beyond all these things, put on love. Why? Why should I do that? foundations matter Christian. 1 Corinthians 13, which by the way, if you had that read at your wedding, you are not a bad person, just know that's not a wedding passage. <laughs> You're not a bad person. I don't, I don't think less of you. It's okay. 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith Hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because they come from each other. Why do you have faith? Why do you have hope? Because God has loved you, and he has redeemed you, and he has strengthened you. Without the love of God poured out for you, explain to me why you do any of these things. The foundation for who you are matters. Go back to 1 John again. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God has, was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can summarize that by the very end of that chapter where John says, we love because he first loved us. So, Go back to something I said before we even started reading these passages. Because we are changed of God, this is going to be really profound, you ready? Because we are changed of God, we are changed of God. And I'm serious about that. Because God has changed your heart, renewed your mind, and set your feet to action, you are actually living with a changed heart, a renewed mind, and feet set for action in the kingdom of God. You are different from the world around you. Now, a couple of notes, because this is one that I will fully admit, so talking about me today, sad. This is one of the areas I struggle with. I look at the world around me, and I don't like it. And a lot of times that extends to not liking what else. Take a wild guess. The people in it. <laughs> See, you deal with it for a few minutes and you're like, yes, I hate this place and I hate to sit around this place. Therefore, <laughs> now is that where I'm supposed to be every day? No, no. What is that revealing? Hey, what do you know? I'm not perfect. Shh, don't tell my kids. <laughs> There's still hope for the girl. She thinks I'm better than I am. <laughs> don't spoil it for her. <laughs> That's that meme, like, be the person your dog thinks you are, you know. I, there are days, it's like, I need to be the person my daughter actually thinks I'm supposed to be. <laughs> but what's the problem? What, when I get to the place where I don't like people anymore, why did that happen? I've been too much into the things of the world and not enough into the things of God. For every look at, your, look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every minute you're paying attention to the world, spend ten minutes paying attention to the things of God. It's good for you and you need that. You need that because if you live in this world long enough and you focus on this world long enough and you do not pay attention to the guarding of your soul and the transforming of your mind, you will, I don't care how sweet you are, I don't care how kind you are, I don't care how innocent you are, you will eventually start to hate sin and the people who commit it on a daily basis. You will. You can't avoid it. You have indulged in your flesh and you know what's going to win when you keep doing that? Uh-huh flesh. That's not where we're supposed to be, Christian. Because we are changed of God, we are actually changed of God, which means when you get to the place, and when I get to the place that I'm looking out at the world and going, no, okay, wait a minute. I can see this with better eyes. I can see this with a transformed heart. And you know who knows that? I do. And you know who has to stop, who has to think, who has to evaluate rightly and understand who I am and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing? I do. And I've been empowered to do that. And I've been strengthened to do that. And I have been prepared to do that because God has not abandoned nor forsaken me. Therefore, I can see rightly. I can evaluate rightly. I can think through things rightly and understand this world in who I am in Christ in it. Remember, go back to where we were two weeks ago. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's a warning, not just about your heart, but about what guards your heart. Come on, you... Anybody ever sing the song to their kids or grandkids? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. <laughs> be careful, little hands, what you do. Why? Because we understand when we're teaching them like this that what? What you see, what you listen to, what you do in this world matters. Why is it we think when we get to a certain age of maturity that we don't need that anymore? <laughs> that I can look at whatever and I can listen to whatever and I can live like whatever. You know, I, I got this. Newsflash, spoiler alert, you know who doesn't got this? <laughs> you or me. I need God. I need Christ. 
I need redeemed eyes and redeemed ears and a transformed heart that's actually guiding how I live in this world so that I do not get bogged down by the things of this world so that I can look at them rightly and I can see the sin of this place and I can see the iniquity and the insanity and I can mourn it and recognize that they are in need, not of my hatred, but of God's mercy. I mean, look, if, if you want judgment to come, just leave it alone for a minute. You know what's eventually going to happen? How much of sin is God judging again? Yeah, not some of it. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to have hatred. I don't need to bring judgment. God's got all of that. <laughs> His wrath is going to do a much better job of taking care of sin than mine ever could. So you know what I can do in the meantime? I can be transformed. I can be renewed. And I can live in this world mercifully and graciously and lovingly in seeing the need, which is not to war against your action, but to change and transform your heart by the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. I bring now the right weapon into the world. And I've told you, I'm talking about me just as much as anybody else, because it's so easy to see the problem and go, okay, here we go. This is the thing we got to fight over. No, no, no. The foundation is down here. I want them to live differently. What do I need to do? I need them to be different. And I can't get them to change their behavior, to change how they think, to change their heart. It doesn't work that way. I need to preach Christ and him crucified so that they will understand their needs, so that God will transform them, so that their minds will be renewed, so that life will be different. It's the old thing we talked about in Sunday school. Oh my goodness, it's been how many years now? Daryl always remembers this one. That's why I'm pointing at him in his direction. I want a righteous government that fears God. You know what I need? I need more people in my government who are righteous who fear God. I can't yell at them enough to get them to change their mind. Now, and if I'm going to get enough people into a government to live like that, then what does that mean? That means the people that we're pulling to the government have to come from a group of people that are what? Righteous and fear God, which means we need more of those people in just the general population. You want to transform the top? Start with the body. And it works up from that way. We've done this a thousand times. Christianity has always, 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 always functioned best when it functions from the bottom up. The minute, I mean the very minute you give us, and by us I mean Christians in the church in general, you give us like a little bit of power and authority, you know what we turn into? The pagans. Just like that. Because that pull of the flesh is just too much. You give us legal status in the Roman Empire. You give us official status in the Roman Empire. And suddenly we got churchmen and bishops acting like they're kings and nobles. And we're burning heretics and we're killing this, that, or the other. It's like, look at us go. No, don't look at us go. Please don't look at us go. <laughs> but when we were illegal and we were 10% of the Roman Empire, we were changing the world. What changed? The attitude of the world and, the, and our attitude to the world. We looked at the powers of the, the levers of power in the areas where we'd have influence and we we're like, yes, now let's wield those babies for our benefit. Wrong weapon. Wrong weapon. Right away. Wrong weapon. The gospel is the weapon. The message of Christ is the weapon. The transformed hearts is the weapon. Stay there always. You move off of that, you cannot win. As a matter of fact, the minute you move off of that, you've already lost. Because you are now trying to change hearts and minds by logic and reason and philosophy and whatever else. And you know what? Uh, you know what my word for that is when we do things like that? That's dumb. What's the rule? <laughs> Don't do dumb things. Now, it becomes a train wreck. But as we are anchored, as we are rooted in the truth, we live lives that are at peace. Not in the world, but at peace with God. We are at rest. Not from our labors here, but at rest from our struggles with God because we are redeemed and we are righteous and we are sanctified in his presence. Therefore, we can trust what he is doing. So beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. See, you didn't know it. Captain and Tennille got one right. Love will keep us together. <laughs> You're welcome. That has been in my head since Monday. It's even in your bulletin, so you won't forget it. <laughs> See? See? And I even had to look up how to spell Tenille. Because <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> they were actually before my time. Why I know these things, I have no earthly idea. But they were right. What's the bond for the church, Christian? Love. What's the bond for the kingdom, Christian? Love. Romans 13. Uh, Romans 13. John 13. Um, the Romans is next. A new commandment I give to you, that you 
love one another, even as I have loved you, that you will also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the thing that, why should that be such a distinction? Because what's the truth of the world, as Paul explains to you? The love of many will grow cold in the world as hatred and sin abounds. Because again, what does sin corrupt and destroy? Everything. And if you just leave it alone long enough, what will it do to you? Now, what happens when you do that after generation, after generation, after generation? And it's like that in government, and it's like that in civil service, and it's like that at work, and it's like that at school. What does that do to a society? I mean, you end up with people raised like I was. If you didn't have kids or grow up in the 80s, you will, never, you will not understand this, but I actually had a Stranger Danger book. <laughs> It had these little purple animals and all these weird rhymes, and it was like, the purple elephant does this. And then the punchline of every single page was, never, ever talk to strangers. And then I become a teenager, and like, how come you don't want to talk to anybody? Like, you've spent my entire life, like, worried about people putting razor blades in my Halloween candy, abducting me at the playground, and to make sure I never talk to strangers. By the way, there were never any razor blades in any candy. There were never any drugs in any candy. It was all a hoax, and we are all scanning our candy to this day for ridiculous reasons. I'm not making that up. You can go look it up. Yeah, that's why police stations, where they, do they still do that, where they, have, like, have, they used to have the x-ray machines, and you go get your candy x-rayed? They've never found anything. Never. It's not a thing. It's never been a thing. But you train up an entire generation on things like that, tell them never to talk to strangers, and then you're like, why are you antisocial and don't like the world? Gee, I wonder, what would it look like if we institutionalized the love of many growing cold and then imparted it into a generation? It would look like the world around you. Why should you not live like that, Christian? Because God has loved you. Because you have been transformed. Because the truth has changed you and you have been set free. Therefore, the world should actually look at you and go, you're weird. <laughs> like, like you're weird weird like, like like weird 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 what's wrong Ooh, let me help you explain how you're wrong and i'm actually the right one let me explain to you what's gone wrong and how god actually makes it right this is this is your simple tact into evangelism this is your simple tact in understanding the world around you yes they're wrong yes they're sinful no i don't hate them i don't have to the wrath of god abides upon them they got bigger problems than whether or not i like them <laughs> bigger problems than whether or not I am, am perturbed. They're facing judgment. They need a cure. That's our work in this world. That's where we stand in this place. Romans 5. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, this is who we are and where we live each and every day. Therefore, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Yes, that's not just a suggestion. That's the place you need to rest each and every day. Because if you don't, then all the other stuff we've talked about this morning, that will rule and reign in your heart. Always remember this. Christian living is not passive living. I've explained this before. Like, um, you ever walked in a current? An ocean current or walked against a river current, especially if it's hitting at a 90-degree angle? Can you just walk along easy-peasy, nothing going wrong, and nothing bad will happen to you? Yeah, you're going to fall down, and you know, hopefully you're attached to something. When you walk against a current, you have to actively do what? kind of have to work against it over time because otherwise, okay, this is how you have to walk in the world. You have to walk against the grain of things because if you do not, and that's a technical term, by the way, <laughs> because it's a constant pull. We always talk about that constant pull. If you're not actively pulling against it, you will just look up one day and go, um, where are we? That's why ships at sea, if they want to stay in one place, they just stay there, right? And, and the water holds them. <laughs> we have these things called anchors. And again, as you drop the anchor, notice that there's tension. The anchors are a passive instrument that are actually working. Think about that for a second. 
Because while the anchor's not physically doing anything, it is actually doing quite a bit, isn't it? Because it's just standing against the grain. This is you in the world, Christian, letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Because if you do not, something else will. And the something else that replaces the peace of God is not going to be a place you want to live. It is not going to be anything that is edifying or anything that pulls you towards the kingdom. And it's probably going to be something that you're going to have to kill with fire later on down the line if you let it take root now. So you know what the best thing to do is? Don't let it take root now and move along. But again, John 16 not, not you, uh, Paul doesn't come up with this in, out of thin air. An hour is coming and has already come. You will be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. In these things I have spoken to you, so that it in, me you ha- in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Haven't said this in a few weeks. Your daily, your daily reminder, your weekly reminder. Jesus wins. Okay? Jesus wins. Evil doesn't win. Satan doesn't win. They get tossed into the lake of fire at the end of the book. You can read it if you don't believe me. Just, just fast forward to the part right before the maps and read like the last three chapters. It'll make sense. They are defeated. They are conquered. This is where you stand each and every day. It may not feel like it some days, but that's that current that we're talking about. Instead, you stand secure in him. He's won. He has overcome. You are good. Hebrews 4. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. In other words, Christian, where's your hope? In Christ. Where's your security? In Christ. Where's your rest? In Christ. You get to have this works. When in doubt, the answer is... Jesus. (laughs) So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. See, Paul's going to make a point to this Colossian church. You are not doing this on your own. So don't think about your anchor out in the middle of the ocean. If that is how you think about your Christian life, you are thinking about your Christian life wrongly. If that is the reality of your Christian life, you are living your Christian life wrongly. You aren't supposed to think of it like you anchored in the middle of the ocean. It's supposed to be more like a marina. And I'm serious about that. Why do we build marinas? I mean, we could just go up to the island or to the shore, drop anchor, and call it a day, right? Why do we go to the trouble of carving out a harbor and building a marina? It's secure. It's safe. You're not subject to the wind and the waves out there because we've made the water a little bit more shallow. We've brought some protection in so the wind and the waves don't come through. Gee, Christian, what do you think the fellowship of the faith is actually supposed to help do for you? You don't have to drop an anchor into deep water. You can tie up to the shore. And you can be instructed. And you can do that in a secure manner. And you can be built up. And you can be safe. That's what the fellowship is supposed to be. That's why this matters. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Ephesians chapter 2. In Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall abolishing in his flesh an enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, in Christ, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. It might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having to put to death the enmity. John 14. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You have heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me and you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Now, Jesus give that instruction and then say, now everybody go to your own room. (laughs) No. He then sent them out to work. He brought them together. This is... This is part of the two-something that you are saved. So, okay. Cover our other equations. You are saved from something. You are saved 
to something. Part of the to something that you're saved in Christ is actually the fellowship of Christians. How else do you do that whole love one another if there aren't actually another? (laughs) It's amazing how these things make sense, isn't it? Just astounding. This is part of your life. And this is, again, that tendency, by the way, guilty, okay? So I'm not picking on you if, I, if this is you. I'm right there with you. That tendency to separate when in doubt, to keep everything at arm's reach, to push everything away so that I can be secure over here is not a godly tendency. It's a fleshly tendency. It is one that says, who's got this? I do. As long as I keep that away, as long as I keep them away, who will be safe? Because who will get this and understand this? Me. That's not a trust. That's not a resting in Christ. That's a resting in my abilities and my capabilities. Bad place to be. When you find these avenues and understandings in areas of your life, what do we do again? Why? Because we are seeking to transform each and every part of ourselves day by day to bring it into obedience with Christ. And part of that is the actual abrasion of the world. And part of that is the actual abrasion of the church. What fiddles down your rough edges? Other people. Other things. Sometimes it's the pagan other people. Sometimes it's the Christian other people. Believe it or not, you you will go to church with people you don't like. And it's good for you. It's actually good for you, providing they're Christians. (laughs) I've been in some churches where I've wondered. (laughs) I've been in some churches where I've said, so. (laughs) Can't imagine how well that went over. (laughs) But if they love God, and they're seeking to be sanctified and to disciple, but they just annoy you a little bit, you know what you need to do? Deal with it. Get over it. Life isn't about you. Christianity isn't about you. Living isn't about you. It's about service unto God. That's why part of this one another is actually dealing with the another. (laughs) Because if everyone was just like you, they wouldn't actually be another. And you would be confirmed in your delusions, and you would be confirmed in your sinful tendencies, and people would agree with you, and everything would just be awesome, right? No, everything would be terrible then, despite what you may think, because now those tendencies and those ideas and those fleshly desires that you indulge in would be confirmed. And that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you, is for no one to look at you and say, um, have you thought about that one? Have you considered this? Because if you haven't, you need to. Now, how, how well has that conversation gone in human history? Yeah, yeah, that conversation is always going, thank you for exposing the iniquity of my heart, and I am so blessed that you have done so. I shall meditate upon these things for a fortnight and return with an answer. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do, right? <laughs> and then you go put on the little house in the prairie bonnet and call it a day. <laughs> Admit it, that's what you were picturing with that voice and that stance, right? See, the Puritans with the little bonnet and the black robe thing. <laughs> No, you go, how dare you? And then you go find someone who agrees with you and go, can you believe what they just said? And then you stop and then you think about it and you go, dang it. Now I got to go apologize twice because I got to go apologize for yelling at them. Then I got to go apologize for gossiping. And then I got to go confront the person that, oh, this is not going to, you know what's better to do? Just think about it. Even if you hate them, just think about it. Be honest, be open. Evaluate how many things in your life, Christian. All of them, all the things. And be thankful, which is supposed to be a permanent state of being for who you are. And this is, this is the thing that takes the most training. I, I should show you the bruise on my shin because it finally popped up after Sunday from where I whacked my leg on the ottoman. I told you about that. <laughs> yeah, big old bruise. And think, ah, why does my leg hurt? Oh, yeah, that's why. I'm glad I did it. I mean, I'm not glad that I did it, but I'm thankful that it hurt, and I'm thankful I was reminded about how messed up and broken that I actually am. And that's a hard place to be. Now, was I thankful in the moment? No. But as I thought about it, as I evaluated it, I recognized that, Christian, be thankful for the things that refine you. Be thankful for the things that purify you. Be thankful for the things that sanctify you. Or maybe I should put it this way. Be thankful for the people that purify you. Be thankful for the people that refine you. Be thankful for the people that sanctify you. Even when you're mad at them, because you know you are when they try to do all those things. Because this is our permanent state of being in Christ. is a recognition that it is not about my life. It is not about what I want. It is about being fit 
for an eternal kingdom where God is so that I will rejoice in his presence. So we'll finish up where Paul does. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Yes, 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 yes. Christian, what's your source of wisdom? What's your source of truth? What's your source of peace? Comfort, security. Now, where do you learn about all of those things? <laughs> we put them in, well, not we. Well, no, we, because I, I am part of the kingdom and, and we did that. Right? We put them where? In a book. We put them in a book. We wrote them down somewhere so that you don't have to just take my word for it. Lord knows. Do not just take my word for it. Okay? Again, because none of my kids are paying attention. I'm not perfect and right about everything. I may be right about most things, but <laughs> I am not right about everything. And trust me, that most things really annoys my wife sometimes. <laughs> I mean, really. Because like, you know, give it a minute, think about it, let me know when you, since she comes back. Right. I know I was right. <laughs> I, I, I am smug and obnoxious about being right sometimes, so I have learned to not be definitive if I'm not sure, and that has served me well because that way I wasn't really definitive and I wasn't sure, and therefore I'm very rarely definitive about things I'm wrong about. <laughs> it's a very useful skill. We should all learn to develop it more often, and I should get better at it. <laughs> if nothing else, it annoys your wife. And isn't that half of the joy of life? <laughs> See, you wives are going, no. Husbands are going, little just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. But no, we put these things in a book so you don't have to just trust me, so that you have a standard by which to judge me. So when the Church of England does its latest insanity, you can look at that and go, but that's not what the book says. That's not how this is supposed to go. And by the way, that's what the book actually tells you. Psalm 119, the wor your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have heard that so many times in King James that you, you know how painful it is to actually read that and not say unto? <laughs> It's like, it's like there's a part of me in the back of my brain twitching. But later on, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. In other words, what's my guide? What's, what are the bumper guards and the rails of my life? It's supposed to be scripture. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Are you sure Paul didn't see 2023? <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. Among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. In other words, what's Paul's hope? For the Philippians, that you will cling to the word so that you will cling to the message that Paul preached so that when Paul gets to the end, he will look and go, look, 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 they made it. They held on. They did it. It was worth something. And what's the standard by which they can do that? The word. Why? Second Timothy chapter 3. This is the one you should know. All scripture is... is, is all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Everything we've talked about this morning is guarded by that phrase, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Everything we've talked about. It's your, think of it like bowling, pull the bumper guards out. What can you no longer do? No more gutters. I'm going to hit something. May not be on this lane, but I'm going to hit something. Have <laughs> you seen those where they... But that understanding is the bumper guards for everything else we've talked about. Why can't I put up with that one another in the congregation who drives me crazy? Because I'm letting the word of Christ richly dwell within me, and so is he. So is she. So are they, however you want to phrase it. In other words, because we're actually following after Christ, there's a protection on how we deal with one another and what we deal with with one another and how we talk to one another and how we interpret how we talk to one another. I've told you this before. One of those resolutions I made years ago, and I'm still trying, I'm still trying, some days are harder than others, is to put the best construction on everything and to give, especially believers, the benefit of the doubt. Because again, the whole stranger danger and razor blades in my candy and don't talk to anybody, my default for so many years is to assume everyone is bad and everyone is out to get me. And you know where I brought those assumptions? To church. So I would look at fellow believers and assume what? That everyone is bad and everyone is out to get me. 
Is that loving one another? <laughs> no. So I have to stop. Exactly. Hey, if you lived in my house, you might be a little paranoid. I mean, not in my house now, but my house then. <laughs> Putting the best construction on things. Assume the best about people until they prove otherwise. This is why I can look at some of the things. Some of you that have been here for an extended period of time can understand why I've argued in council meetings for things. Be like, no, 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 no. Now is not the time to have that conversation. Now is not the time to do that. We've had people here that we've asked not to be here anymore. And we needed to. And we did it well after we probably should have. Why? Want to make sure. Want to be careful. Want to be certain that what we're doing is the right thing and doing it the right way. Because we know once we go down that road, you don't come back from it more often than not. We want to be calm and careful and level-headed and clear-thinking and understand that there's a chance that we're seeing this wrongly because once again we are not infallible therefore let's make sure we're by the book let's make sure we're following the precepts correctly so that when we do what we do we do it for the love of christ and for the building up of his kingdom and not for other reasons because lord knows we would never have other reasons for doing the things that we do ever in a million years would we <laughs> no 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 not in, not in the least sinful people doing sinful things sinfully no that would never happen <laughs> this is your bumper guard to the one and others is understanding that they should be dealing in a Christ-like manner according to Scripture, and I should do, and I should be understanding, and if I'm going to have a disagreement, if I'm going to have an argument, I have it according to what? Scripture. So let the word of Christ dwell, dwell richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Because once again, that's supposed to be your way of life, isn't it? Isn't that just supposed to be Tuesday? Isn't that just supposed to be how you live day in and day out? How you live week in, week out? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Because of everything else we have stated. Colossians 3 again. Go back a couple of weeks. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And by the way, that verse is your other bumper guard. That's your other bumper guard. That's the other thing. Even if I think I've got scriptural ground to stand on, I actually have a function and a goal. I am changed of God. Therefore, I seek to live as if I am changed of God. So let's give you a silly example. You like silly example time? I mean, sure, you could look at someone. Let's, let's say you got one of the teenagers in the church. We don't have a lot of teenagers, so I could pick on them. <laughs> you used to have to be careful of that because like in North, for the longest time in North Carolina, I would joke about like all the inbreeding in the Bible and who married their cousin and stuff like that. Be like, it's like, it's like modern-day Kentucky. And then I moved to the western part of the state, and we actually had people from Kentucky. <laughs> so I can't pick on Kentucky anymore, so then it had to become West Virginia. <laughs> so I always got to make sure I know where some people are from so I don't, I don't pick on your family. <laughs> So if I ever do pick on your family, I'm sorry. It wasn't intentional. It's just a generalization. But you got teenagers, and, and one of the, so let's just, let's pick on the girls because they're easier to pick on. Well, let's say one of the girls, you, you notice, like, why is it like every two weeks there's a new boyfriend? By the way, I've seen this in church before. Like every two weeks, there's a, there's a new guy with that girl. Now, could you historically have an example to walk up and say, infernal harlot with your harlotry leading people astray, why dost thou liveth in such a way? You probably have a basis in history. Is that probably the most loving way to attack that? It might be the most fun. <laughs> it reminds me of a friend of mine in high school who, uh, uh, this is terrible, but it was funny. Um, we were three or four years older than his sister, and we went to a small school, I went to a small, um, a, a small private school that was K-12, it had about 500 students, K-12. And so once you hit seventh grade, you started switching classes during the day, you no longer had like one teacher for everything. And so seventh through 12 would share a hallway and you had three minutes and it was a mass of kids and you're getting someplace. And in the middle of those one day, I think we were juniors when his sister, yeah, we were juniors when his sister was seventh grade, I think. And all of a sudden he walks by her in the hallway one day and sees her and right in the middle of the hallway, just grabs her by the forehead and grabs her by the small of the back and bends her over and goes, demon of stupidity, come out of this child. And then stands her up and walks away. <laughs> 13 year old girl in the middle of everyone and she's just mortified. <laughs> so, 
And I was one step behind him when he did it. So I am of no use to anyone right now because I am laughing hysterically. But I can see the look on her face when she stands up like, <laughs> like you've scarred her for life. That was funny. <laughs> see, as an only child, I didn't have siblings that did that to me or to do that to. So I just appreciated it when they tortured each other. <laughs> but anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Why don't we attack like that? Because it's not going to accomplish anything. That Will I get a point across? Yes. Could I make the argument that the point is biblical? Yes. Could I make the argument that I've confronted sin in a biblical manner? Yes. Giving glory to God? Seeking the ends that are pleasing in his kingdom? There's my other bumper guard. There's the thing that makes me come and say, I'm noticing a pattern here. It just help me understand what's going on. But what, why, why, why? Seriously, why? <laughs> and like I said, I've had this conversation. We, uh, how did the dad describe it, Cameron? Oh, oh the, we, the, <laughs> there was a boyfriend that came for something. This is in, actually, in, actually in Cameron's family. And the description was beautiful because we were like, what's, what's his name? What's this one's name was actually the question. And he was explaining, he goes, but don't worry about remembering it. She changes boyfriends like she changes her underwear. <laughs> just like that's a way to put things <laughs> that that's frequent right <laughs> things you got to start worrying about but you want to stop now can you yell can you be mad do you want to be confrontational no you want to be loving you want to be forgiving you want to be gracious understand what's going on how are we treating these relationships what's the purpose of them now we're actually discipling now we're actually building and put that towards any problem you might want to see is it scriptural? Great. Are you seeking the glory of God in the building up of his kingdom? Because that's your other bumper guard that makes sure all of these one another's are done in the right spirit, that makes sure that we're in the right place, heading in the right direction, in the right way. Now, all of that to say at the end of the day, where's our grace for all of these things? In God. What do we do when we mess these up? Because guess what we're going to do, Christian? We're going to mess these things up constantly. And recognize that for that too, Christ has died. And that our hopes are not placed in how well we do this, but in how well Christ has accomplished his work. And that as we look and we see in a mirror darkly, we can recognize and rejoice in the fact that there is coming a day when we will see rightly and our iniquities and our sins and our failures will be pushed aside by the success of the gloriousness of his kingdom. Keep your heart and mind focused there and everything else falls into place. Let's pray.